0: Okay, okay, just stop where you are, let's pray. Let's pray where you're standing, and then we'll, uh, you can move around when we do this. Stop where you are, you're good. Christ, our God, who was transfigured upon the mountain and did manifest your glory to your disciples as they were able to bear it, shed forth your everlasting light upon us, your servants, that we too behold your glory and enter into your sufferings and then proclaim you to the world, you who gives light to the darkness, and who you yourself are the light of men. Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. amen. All right, good to see you. Yeah, don't uh, get settled in. You know, here's the thing. We're having a little trouble getting seats for everybody. That's a first-class problem to have. Uh, we haven't decided whether we should move you into the gym, whether that would be better, because that then would entail buying you donuts or something too. And then who knows? <laughs> the, whole, the whole thing could go crazy after that. That's all I need is a bunch of kids hyped up on sugar. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Try to be friendly. Find all your chairs. It's a little more set up, and it's always better to have a a smaller room full than a bigger room not full, but there we go. Okay, lots of things to think about. Thanks to those who came out for the men's retreat. Um, You know, it was very interesting because we had a, a seminary professor who pushed us all a bit beyond our comfort level. And that was very nice, uh, especially when he lapsed into Coptic for part of it. That was very interesting too. <laughs> I know many of you are taking the Coptic class at COD, so you probably it probably worked out for you. But you know, for some of us, it was a little more difficult. Um, this is Transfiguration, of course, and so this is sort of the this is the big hinge, the big change into Lent. Now, you know, we're on the mountain, but we're going, as Luke says, Jesus set his face. Toward Jerusalem, it's his exodus. The word is used again. So as Moses and the children of Israel had an exodus, now Jesus is going to have his exodus. You're invited along as the new children of Israel for his exodus, and off we go to Lent. Um, I've talked to you a couple of weeks about you know, your Lenten disciplines, however that works out for you. You, know, um, you probably need it more than you don't need it you know so uh, you know do do something unless you really feel like you know it would be a disadvantage to your faith often the things you think would be a disadvantage turn out to be actually good for you but i let me just give you this bit of advice for your lenten um you know um right after you're done with all your sins on fat tuesday then you should begin to take you know each day one at a time and uh, you might give a bit of reflection to just maybe let each day be its own individual day and you might think about the 40 days of Lent. Now, of course, if you're clever, you you know that we don't count the Sundays because you can't ever you can't ever fast on a on a on a day of resurrection. And every Sunday is a day of resurrection in the early church. So yes, of course, if you start on Wednesday and end on Sunday, you add it up; there'll be 46. Um, but you uh, you know it's it's um, it's only the 40 days in between. You might just think for yourself if you can just rather than sort of push things. I'm certain you've found this in the past, that if you set a goal for praying or fasting or tithing or giving alms, and you sort of try to set that for the entire bit of Lent, it seems as if you'll never make it. Like all other things, you know, one foot in front of the other. So see if you can just take it sort of a day at a time. We'll have ashes in the morning. Vicar, are you here? Are you here? We have ashes in the morning on Wednesday, as well as in the evening on Wednesday, okay? So make sure we get them onto the altar. So it'll be the Eucharist and ashes here on... Wednesday, uh, and then in the evening Wednesday, and then then you're off, you know. And just think about what it is, and you can take the advice. And it, it was interesting. It's been given for the the, the the church fathers have given this advice for hundreds, thousands of years. Which is, it's not only about fasting from you know bacon. It's also about fasting from, hey gossip, for example. You notice the pope just just gave. Uh, he said, I once said to you, or I said to you, I tried to say to you that in my mind, you know, gossip is verbal pornography. And if you kind of think about the, 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 you think about the connections of what pornography does to you, gossip is verbal pornography. It was very interesting. The Pope said last week or the week before that gossip is is terrorism, which is actually another very good analogy. But if you start to think about, you know, so, so any sort of, he pulled back from the church fathers the notion that it's not just fasting from food or fasting from, from wine or fasting from, you know, whatever, dairy, eggs, however fast go. It's also fasting from your bad habits, from from gossip, from being miserly, from being lazy, from not coming to church. You can give up that for Lent, too. So just kind of think that through. But whatever it is that you choose, choose a doable thing. And um, when the pinch comes, you know, it reminds you that you are with Jesus on the exodus, and it's going to be very painful, frankly, when we get there. And then it'll be very wonderful. And that's, much, you know, that's, a, that's a metaphor for life. You, your life, in many cases, is very painful. And then it's going to be very wonderful. And you try to remember that. The great thing about Lent is you get the whole story in those 40 days. Just as you get the whole story in those 40 days. I mean, I'm sorry, in those, in those fasting days of Advent, right? So, you know, think of something... Um, and then, then see, see how it goes. Just, just see how see how it works for you. Say your prayers. Make sure you always come to church. Wear your ashes for a day and see what happens to you. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I had a whole bunch of stuff to say there. I'm going to push that off to the side and we're just going to keep going. So, um, just pick what it is that that it might be and see if that helps you. Okay. Any questions about any of that? About your normal disciplines, you're kind of used to it. But yes, please. Um, Wednesday morning, we start at 7.40, and we will have you out by 8. Actually, we end up often starting 7.41, 7.42, so people get just a little quiet. But 7.40, it'll take a little longer for the ashes, so, but we'll, we'll have you out by 8, and then you're on your way to work, okay? Questions about that? Okay, so thanks for the men's retreat. You had a huge turnout. It was 95 or 100 guys, so that was really nice. Um, uh, Professor Busher was great. I mean and I mean say nice things about the Ferrers. Uh, he's um, little Jimmy. Their cousin little Jimmy was the guy who gave the men's seminar. Did you know that? So, so is that in that right? Little Jimmy. Yeah, that's little Jimmy. Yeah. Tell him, tell tell the fam. Don't even tell him. Tell the family back around Effingham he did a nice job. Say oh he did little Jimmy did just a nice job for us. Just say that. and Then it'll be better if it gets back to him that way. All right? Y'all good? I thought I had one other thing, but I can't quite remember what it is, so it doesn't make any difference. Questions about anything? All right, now um, we're going to do something really complicated, which is open a Bible, Hebrews chapter 7. This is difficult, um, but I think, uh, as long as the pages stay in order, <laughs> yeah, right? you should have uh, the appendix that's, that's the Melchizedek appendix, okay? No Melchizedek, you know, your Uncle Mel, he's, he's one of the most interesting guys in Scripture. This is Hebrews chapter 7. It's just such a... And it is it is some hard going, friends. But I've written you... What I did, I sat down last night, I wasn't happy with where I was, and then I sat down about 7 last night and I ended up kind of typing at the kitchen table till after 10. Because I, was, I wasn't happy with... Um, I'm never happy when it's complicated, okay? And it, it, it's very easy for this to get complicated. So what I've given you is sort of a cheat sheet on Melchizedek. You got it? It's the one that says appendix, Melchizedek, appendix A. Appendix is what you do when you've missed something really important, you have to go back, okay? So there it is. You can put it in here. And the first question is, you know, why is that guy on our pillow? If you look up at the, at the Eucharist today or you watch the pastor kneel to confess... Uh, You'll see that Melchizedek's name, boom, there he is right in front. And then as somebody said to me, you know, early on, why is that name for Baal on the pillow? I'm like, now, Bev Hecht would not have put 132,000 stitches into that if it was another name for Baal, is that right? Go ahead, hold up your hand, Bev. Show them what your hand looks like after you did that pillow, yeah. It was the last thing that she gave up for the church, but it was glorious, thank you very much. She can't write her name anymore, but the pillow, fantastic, right? It's a beautiful thing. So you say to yourself, you know, what's it doing there? Now, I'm gonna just, just going to read, you know, these 20 verses because we'll just get it in our head and then we'll kind of go back through it. You see if you can keep up. This is, this is very difficult going and in the Greek it's even harder. Now, remember, here's a guy who's trying to give a sermon. He's trying to encourage you. You guys who were at the men's retreat, this is going to ring all kinds of bells. Listen for the point where he talks about family, for example, and genealogy. We heard about that. And what makes Jesus, Jesus. So listen to how that works. Think about, think about what a priest actually does. You know, we heard all about bishops and priests. Listen to what Jesus is doing here. And try to follow this. Remember that he's trying to say, hey, that story happened a long time ago, but that story is your story. And because that story is your story, here we go. This is nothing else than the Easter Vigil. This is just what we do in Easter Vigil. We gather you all in the nighttime and we read these old stories. You know, Jonah in the, in, the, in, in, the, in the belly of the whale. Three men in the fiery furnace. Israel's going through the Red Sea. The creation story. And the whole point of the vigil is that story is your story. Let's go, right? And then people jump in the water and people come to First Communion and people, you know, break the fast and here we go. That's exactly what he's doing here. That story, those old stories are your stories. One of the values of what happened at the men's retreat is it was way tougher than I thought it was going to be. I mean, it was some tough going and guys kind of stuck in there. That was really nice. I mean, he pushed beyond what we normally, what we normally get. And um, every once in a while, you need that. Well, this is the same thing. Out of the blue, for this Melchizedek, right? Maybe I go back one verse. Go back one to 620 or 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner curtain, inner shrine behind the curtain. We talked about that last time. Jesus is our great high priest. Remember, this is all under the rubric about why you come to church or why is it better to be in church than not be in church or what better things are there. The operative word is going to be better, 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 right? And he gives you a list of you know seven or eight or nine of them depending on how you count. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So you get the metaphor immediately what happens to you. Everybody needs an anchor, anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner shrine behind the curtain, the Holy of Holies, Right? So now I've got some hope, and I'm just going to say this now so I don't forget later. Like assurance before, not a great, not a great translation for hypostasis, because assurance, we immediately think about how I feel about things. Oh, I feel pretty assured. And it's horrible. I mean, this is a great, it's horrible when you go into a Lutheran church and, and the pastor says to you, I assure you that your sins are forgiven. Ah! That, that's the way, mostly, to tell the difference between a Presbyterian and a Lutheran, although I don't want to go too hard here. But this was a regular thing about A Presbyterian pastor normally assures you of your salvation. A Lutheran pastor forgives your sins. Why? John 20. He breathed on him and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Go forgive people's sins. So we say we erase ourselves with vestments. All you see is mouth, hands, and feet. So I can turn around, look at you, and say with my hand as much as with my, you remember this is the first three letters of Christ's name, right? The K-R-I, that's for you guys who are doing Greek, right? Okay, there you go, right? It's right there, right? The first three letters of Christ's name, the X, the P, the I, right? They're all right there. It's like, it's numbers. How do you bless people? This is how you bless my people. You put my name on the people. You put it on them, okay? You put it right on them. So this is not, assurance is a hypostasis. It's something. It's a thing. In the same way, hope is not, Jesus is here to make you feel hopeful. I mean, this is like being depressed. If you could cheer up, you would cheer up. It's like not having any hope. If you could be hopeful, you'd be hopeful. It's not a feeling, it's a thing, okay? It's like an anchor dropped on your foot. It doesn't move around. It creates a little bit of noise. That's what's happening here, okay? So, we have... This sure, steadfast anchor of the soul. We have a thing, a hope, that enters into the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. So Jesus goes down the mountain and Jesus goes to the cross. He's a forerunner. We go down the mountain. We we go behind the cross. And, you know, it's not a coincidence that Peter, James, and John, the guys who are on the mountain today, it's not a coincidence that those same guys are in Gethsemane. It's not a coincidence it's Jesus who says, I stick with you in the best times. We should build three shacks and stay here forever. And I stay you with the worst, at the, at the worst times. Rabbi, and the kiss comes and he's betrayed, right? To be betrayed by your friends and the only thing worse than being betrayed by your friends, by those whom you love, is then they kill you too, right? And Jesus stands with you in the best of things and the worst of things. Regardless whether you are in hope or in despair, Jesus is hopeful. Jesus is priest. Jesus is atonement. Jesus keeps going, and you're welcome to come along, not because of what you do, but because of what he does. Okay, you've heard all this, but it, this, it's right here in the text, okay? So, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That is just the weirdest thing. All right? Now, just for fun, um... Turn back, go left in your Bible all the way to the beginning, to Genesis 14. Okay, we've got to go all the way back. Because this Melchizedek guy, he's so, so interesting. He appears in Genesis. There's a reference to him in the Psalms, like everybody who should know who he is. The writer of the Hebrew holds him up as an explanation of who Jesus is. And you're like, How does that work? Because this is all we know. Genesis 14, verse 17. So there's a, basically, as so often is the case in the Old Testament, there's a big fist fight, and Lot gets kidnapped, and Abraham has to go get him, help him out. And so, um, Abram, sorry. Abram has to help him out. And he does, and he gets him back and all this stuff. And then... Abraham is wandering back now. Sort of keep proximity in mind. You know, uh, I just I just I just give you what's tradition in the church that there was a place outside Eden where Adam was buried. There was a place outside Eden where Isaac was sacrificed, but not sacrificed. There was a place outside Eden where. Abram gives a tithe to the king of Salem. There's a place where Jesus is crucified, Golgotha, outside the walls. And in the tradition of the church, those are all the same place. You may do with that what you like. But the tradition of the church is where Adam is buried, where Abram meets Melchizedek, um, where Isaac is laid upon the sticks to be slain, and where Jesus, the fulfillment of the type of Isaac, where Jesus dies, are all the same place there 's some interesting scriptural connections about how where they go and what Zion is. Um, you do with that what you want. you know the most stretchiest part of that might be the Adam part, but it makes a nice story, and uh, it makes a good theological history at least, so just just sort of in the back of your mind. Um, well, wow, see, so many things come to mind here. After his return, this is Genesis fourteen seventeen. After his after Abram's return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer, and the kings were with him, so there were some. You know, they chose up sides. It was five to four. They won the day. The king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Sheva. That is the king's valley. Now look at this. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, which, you know, is Jerusalem. It's a little bit of shorthand, or it's how the name evolves, but there you go. So Melchizedek, hasn't been mentioned before, king of Salem. Oh, everybody knows this, apparently. Brought out, and you may do with this what you want. You Lutherans, you probably should ignore this, but you who believe in Jesus, you should probably get after this now. Sorry. Um, He brought out bread and wine. Hmm. Hmm. Just wonder what you'll do with that when you get to Passover or when you get to uh, the Eucharist. He was a priest of God the Most High. That's very interesting because we haven't heard about him before. Um, God the Most High would be basically L-O-R-D in capital letters. Right, So he's a priest of Yahweh. And he blessed them. That is, Melchizedek blessed Abram. You're going, I thought Abram was the big noise. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram. This is how you know that Melchizedek blessed Abram. Abram didn't bless Melchizedek. And he blessed him, he said, you know, the normal thing they do. You put a hands-on guy, blessed be Abram. By the Lord, by God the Most High, the maker of heaven and earth. You guys, there's the creed, right? And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything, because that's what you do when you meet somebody who's bigger and better and in charge of you, blessing you and king over you. How does all this work? And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king, I've sworn to the Lord, there it is together, Lord, L-O-R-D, big letters, God most high, maker of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything because if I take something from you, then it looks like you're supporting me, but you should know that all my support comes from Yahweh, L-O-R-D, big letters, God most high, right? Oh, and he says it, lest I should say to you, I've made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young man have eaten, so I'll have a meal, which is great Middle Eastern hospitality, which you do for anybody. That's not um, gifting somebody. That's just what's done. It's like in Chicago when I discovered that when you're married, you have a sit-down meal for everybody. In Iowa, we might have hot dogs or a pig roast if you really like your relatives, okay? Not Chicago, man. Everybody's expecting the china and the silver. All right, so that's another story for another day. The share of the people who went with me, all right? Let them take their share. Boom! Now you don't hear about him again till the Psalms. And then you hear about him again. Turn back to Hebrews now. Now you hear about him like everybody knows who he is. You don't know who he is, right? Except that Bev was kind enough to put him on the pillow up there. So it must be important because I think you'll agree with me, Tom, that Bev is rarely, if ever, wrong. You've never known her to be wrong, have you? You've never really known her to be wrong, have you, in your marriage? I think you were at the men's retreat. The answer should come a little more quickly. Remember the part we did about husbands and wives? You remember that little touchy-feely thing we did there? Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, so why is he on the pillow? So Hebrews 7 is a midrash. Okay, this is just good Jewish exegesis. He's just going to tell you the story of Melchizedek. He's going to tell you what... When you hear Melchizedek, this is what you should think about. When you go up to the altar and you see Melchizedek, this is what you should be thinking A Midrash is just, you know, an explanation. It's Bible study. It's a rabbi who says, and you all should know this too. By the way, I'm a little bit embarrassed um, because I feel like we've been so hard on the Hebrews, at least perhaps I was, leading up. You know, there's so much talk about you people should grow up and why can't you keep this straight and let's move from milk to meat and you're part of the church and let's go. Then you get to a text like this and you're like, gee, this is kind of basic information that they all knew and we didn't know maybe, you know. Maybe they weren't as bad, or were not as good as we thought. So anyway, Hebrews seven. This is the second point on the little appendix. Is a midrash of Psalm one hundred ten, verse four. Okay. Now look at how look at how he talks to you. Um, one hundred ten, verse four. You don't have to turn back. It's quoted a little, a little, uh, a little farther down. If you just turn your page. Um, uh, maybe I should. Maybe I should go. Can somebody just do that so I can keep going? Well, one of you smart? college guys look up psalm 110:4. okay got it so um listen to this it's basically he's going to say i'm going to explain this and then he says to you um look at verse 4 my translation says see how great he is what does your translation say anybody say 7 verse 4 what what's the first sentence there first word or two see how great he is what mine says rsv what do you what's it say See, that's better, but since you've been here before, you know what this reading says? Contemplate or meditate on. And suddenly you're like, oh, that's our Lenten discipline. Remember we did a whole six or seven weeks about meditation. You find a text, you say your prayers, you read the text, you move through, you think about how it applies today, right? That's exactly what he's doing here. It's a reading that says contemplate, contemplate, How great this man was. Right? See, now he's doing to you what a rhetorician does. He's going to hold up this great man. You should think about how great this man is and you should have him as an example. and You should have him as a father and have him as a brother and have him as a priest, have him as an example. Have him as part of the church and you should go with him. You got it? Psalm 110, verse 4. Did I get it right? Can you read it for me really good? You got it, Mason? Go. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So who's he talking to and what does that mean? Okay, That's what we got to find out. So, Hebrews 7 is a midrash on just that thing. You are a priest forever. The Lord has sworn, which is very interesting because the Lord has to swear an oath. What does that mean? The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. So this is good forever. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What does that even mean? Because we don't know a lot about Melchizedek the priest. We just read the three or four verses that talk about it. We don't even know what that means. What does that mean? So, you should contemplate how great a man he is. I don't even know which man they're talking about anymore. Okay? This is very complicated. Now, I, didn't, I don't want to make you spin back, by I just gave you two pieces. Here's two things you should remember. If you want to go back and look, you can. But he said two things in the previous two chapters when he's talking about Jesus the high priest. Here's two things you need to remember. God makes a priest. God makes a priest. Nobody makes himself a priest. God makes a priest. Even Luther understood this when... The language got a little confused about priesthood of all believers, believers and pastors. You know, there were all these roving guys who would come into town. They'd say, I'm a preacher, and can I hit the pulpit? And um, Luther would say, yeah, sure, let me see your ordination papers. There was just a, priest, a fake priest arrested in California. He'd been, this dude had been going around from place to place here in confession preaching. He'd come to priests who were tired. He's like, man, you look so tired. I'll preach for you this week. He's been making money. All the, they, the sheriff arrested him last He's been doing this for a year in California. I mean, it's exactly the same thing. You're not a priest unless God makes you a priest. That's the first thing. And second, you're never a priest by yourself. God makes this big pool of people that... Um so take the vicar back there. He seems like a nice enough guy. Except the fact that he didn't make sure that I had any markers here. <laughs> things were going so well. So there's a, there's a, come on, do it with me. There's a big pool of priests that God makes, okay? And then, of course, the Lord has to decide whether or not he'll forgive the vicar for not having the markers there and actually put the vicar into it. That's what we're trying to say. Thank you so much. How did this happen? Who knows how this could happen? It could have been Nelson or Bukes. Let's blame it on them. They're not here. So the Lord makes this He says, you know, and you know this, he says, Aaron, you're the priest. The Levites, you're the priests. Nobody else gets to be a priest. These people are priests and everybody else is served by the priests. And you remember, again, you know, believe what you want to believe. But uh, when they begin to make priests, there's a charge in Hebrew. It says to the priest, you shall tend and keep my people which are exactly the same Hebrew words, as I recall, that are used of Adam when the Lord says to him, you shall tend and keep the garden, right? And then you had a reading today from Hebrews today, right, about how you're the house, right? It's just amazing how the Lord talks about you. Well, anyway, he puts this whole group of people and he says to them, "Um, your job is to serve all these other people out here, all these other 11 tribes um, go to 11, uh, you know, you serve these people, your job is to serve them. And then he takes people, like, I mean, look at the vicar, he's from Iowa, he's nice, his wife is wonderful, he can get a subject and a verb in the same sentence, and then what happens, the Lord says, oh, we'll put you in here and we'll make you a guy with two heads, that's what he says, he'll send you to seminary and you won't even be able to talk, right? That's, what, I mean, this, I just, it's only the text, all of this is commentary. So, all right, so this is what the text says. You know, he says, God makes a priest and God makes the order. Okay. So let's just figure out who Melchizedek is because otherwise you'll be confused every time you go to the altar and you see his name. You know then the text, in all seriousness, is the text from the Psalms. Forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. If you read around the pillow, that's what Bev put on there. A priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, that's on the pillow. I'll just cut to the chase. Which means that when a pastor kneels down on that and confesses and then stands up and forgives your sins, it's not the pastor who forgives your sins, although it is the pastor who forgives your sins, but only because Jesus forgives your sins. It's it's the it's all the fathers in Luther too at the Eucharist. When the priest extends his hand at the Eucharist, it's not the priest who holds the host. Um, it's not the priest who holds the host in his hand, but Jesus Christ who gives you the Holy Supper. In the same way, when your sins are forgiven, I forgive you all your sins. You know, in, in, within the boundaries of wheat, and people just can't figure this out. Well, because the pastor is in persona Christi. He's in the person of Christ. He's speaking for Christ. I was just thinking about that Bukes kid being baptized today when all you guys, whoever at the first service, do you desire to be baptized I'm thinking, the kid is quiet, and you all go, I do. And I was thinking about the kid. I'm thinking, hmm. And do, doesn't it make you wonder why we talk that way? Well, we say what the kid would say if the kid could talk. I mean, if the Bukes kids were just a little more precocious. They would have said, they're all geniuses. Don't get close to them. Who knows what they're doing? I mean, they might be, they're building a car in their garage. I don't know what they're doing. Don't, don't give them a wrench and turn your back on them. The Bukes, they're all geniuses. All right, so, but the thing is, Do you want to get baptized? I do. I'm like, everybody talked, but the kid. Why? Well, he would have talked too if he could talk. But right now, we just let him gurgle. But he's got those sins against his older brothers, and they need to be forgiven. So we went ahead with everything today, okay? This Melchizedek, the king of Salem, okay, so now it rings in, where Adam got buried, where Isaac got sacrificed, where Abraham, okay? The king of Salem, priest of Melchizedek, priest of the most high God, the priest of Yahweh, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and he blessed him. What, is, what are you supposed to do as your priest? You tend and keep. How do you tend and keep? Number six, the benediction. This is how you will bless my people. You take my name. You should read this text. Number 622 and beyond. You take my name and you physically, you put it on people. It's like a thing. You know, this thing. You take it and you put it on people. Now it's on him, right? You, take, you put it on somebody. It's not just words floating around the air. They hit the target, right? It's why at baptisms we keep touching the kids every time we talk them so we don't... Oh, if you guys... I didn't tell you this, okay? There was an ordination, no lie. I'm swearing you all to secrecy. There was an ordination where the district president was sort of the kind that... Um, didn't think this was a thing. It was just everybody feeling good about everything. So he came to ordain the guy. The guy kneels down in front of him. The, 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 stand up. The, the district president's going to ordain him. And he starts to hover like this, like, we're feeling good about having you here. This is great. And the guy goes like this. <laughs> that, that's a true story, Right? Because there's no sort of goofing around. It's a thing. It's really going to happen to me. This is how you. Great, man. This is why you don't want to be a DP, because people talk about you behind your back. Ooh, I'm not, but I'm not giving up gossip till Wednesday, so this is all still okay. All right? So look, I mean, just look what's happening here. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. So two things are happening there Melchizedek blesses. Abraham, and Abraham gives a tithe to Melchizedek. Okay, now here's the thing. You guys who were at the thing on the weekend, uh, Dr. Busher spent five or ten minutes talking about family structure and genealogy. Remember he was talking about the relationship of the father to the son and how pagans was all about thinking? And for Christians, it was all about family. You remember that? And then he said, there are things that happen in a family. When, when you're in a family, and now you've got to go back even to what we were doing, you get a name. You get access. You get status. Remember we talked about this the last couple of weeks. You're part of the divine royal family, so you have the permission to speak freely, and people listen to you, and they take your advice, and they're concerned about the things you're concerned about. That's what happens in a family. Okay? This is all weird because Melchizedek doesn't have a family. Or does he? But whatever happened with Melchizedek, Abraham knows that Melchizedek is here and Abraham is here. You know that in two ways. Melchizedek blesses Abraham. So if you will, in, in Britain they used to say um, there are betters. You remember this? They were talking about our betters, which means the people in the class ahead of us. There are betters. Well, th- the whole thing we started out with is why is it better to go to church? Well, you meet apparently a better kind of people there, a better kind of priest. Even for Abram, it's true. Melchizedek is his better, his superior. How do you know? Because in classic Middle Eastern fashion, the greater blesses the lesser, and the lesser gives gifts to, or in reality, tithes to, or if you have a war, gives the spoils of war to the greater. So you have a greater and a lesser, a better and a worser. And you all think of Abraham, and I do too, you think of Abraham as you know, one of your fathers in the faith. If you're going to name the people, you're going to name Abraham and Moses and David and Jesus. That's what you're going to do. In fact, the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew, find it for me, find it for me. The beginning of Matthew, how does the genealogy? Find it fast. So... Um, <laughs> The, the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew, the very first words of the New Testament, written by Matthew, who's an apostle, say... The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Perfect! Okay, see? That's how you get you know, your status, your family. That's how you know who's better and worse, higher and lower. That's how you know who blesses. This is how you bless my people, he says to the priests, to the Levites. This is how you know. You're going to bless everybody else in Israel. Right? And you're going to take a tithe of everything. You're going to take rent, basically. I mean, you never think about your tithing this way, but tithing in the Old Testament was paying rent for the ground. And you paid it to the Lord through the priests. And you paid it with everything you had, right? Because you're sharecroppers, in a sense. You're renters. This is just how the world works when you have... You know, greater and lessers, betters and worse. That's just, how it, that's just how it works. Well, that's what's happening here. Now, they would have all heard this. We don't kind of hear it as well, but they're all Hebrews. They know where Jerusalem is located. They know about the patriarchs, right? They've been to Passover. It's to the Hebrews. It's not like to the Gentiles in Luke's Gospel where you've got to explain everything. We can move a little quicker here, right? Because you've all been to church and you should remember this, but some of you aren't coming to church. Some of you have been forsaking the assembly. So, come on, let's go. Let's remember the story. That's what's happening here. Okay, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness, sadic. So, Melchizedek, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. It's all how the Hebrew words work. You can, If you want to Google it up, you can read all day about how people parse the name and have different things. But what the writer to the Hebrew wants you to hear is that he is king of righteousness and king of peace. That's very interesting. Um, You could write a paper on law and gospel at this particular point. One of the things that a king does is have righteousness, justice, right? And one of the things that a king does is brings peace, which often takes mercy. And this is going to be really important in a second when the game changes, Okay. So he's first, by translation, is named King of Righteousness. He's a king who's supposed to bring righteousness. And then he's also the King of Salem, the King of Peace. He's a king who's supposed to bring peace. And now the weirdest part, right? In a culture where everything is about family, right, in a culture where things matter because you have a father and a mother, you belong to a particular tribe, right? In that family, Melchizedek, who's the greater, He's not a bomb. This is like the time, you know, he swears forever. You're a priest. After the order of Melchizedek. He is, now watch this, without a father or mother, without a genealogy, without a beginning or an end, neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. Very interesting. Now, you can do with that what you want. Um, You know, true confession, although if you print it in the newspaper, I won't go to the stake for this. But there are several places you at least have to ask yourself in the Old Testament whether Jesus showed up to have some fun. I'll just give you a couple of them. One is, we need icons You've seen the icon of the Holy Trinity where the guys, one, two, three, are sitting at the table, right? They come to Ava. And the place in the front is left for you. Who is that, one, two, three? The church has always thought that. His Father, Son, and Holy Spirit showed up to have lunch. And it'll let Sarah know that she'd be pregnant now. If she'd just stop laughing about it. You've seen maybe an icon of the fire, for, or fire furnace, the, well, fire furnace too. But there's a fourth one. He looks like a son of the gods. Hmm, what an interesting text. How many men do we throw in the fiery furnace? We threw in three. How many do you see? I see four. And the fourth one looks like a son of the gods, which is very close to the son of God. How how, how smart can you be if you're Nebuchadnezzar? Or occasionally, perhaps you've seen the icon, I've shown a couple times in here, of the burning bush. And in the burning bush is the face of Christ. Okay. Like those things, the burning bush that perhaps has the face of Christ. Like those things, the the fiery furnace, where Christ apparently walks around in the fire with them and then when they come out, their eyebrows are not singed and they do not smell of smoke, right? By the way, I don't know if I mentioned it, but it's transfiguration. We're going down the mountain with Jesus, that same Jesus. Or, perhaps, Melchizedek, a king... It doesn't say that we don't know what it is. It doesn't say we don't know his family or we never met him or he showed up or we adopted him somewhere or he was an interloper. Or something. It says, Melchizedek doesn't have a mommy, doesn't have a daddy, doesn't have family, doesn't have a tribe, doesn't have a beginning, doesn't have an end, and will be a priest forever. <laughs> what in the world do you do with that? Right? I mean, you just you should just think about that. You know, would I push you to say that that's Jesus, if you will, a Christophany in the Old Testament? No, I'm not going to push you there, but if you think about it, it's really fun, right? Ah, It's just an amazing, it's an amazing sort of thing. It does mean, of course, that he temporarily had flesh and blood and gave flesh and blood up, which is kind of anti-incarnational. The Gnostics actually loved, the Gnostics who didn't like flesh and blood actually confessed this, so that always makes me wary of it. if heretics are confessing it, you should probably take two steps back. But you know. Nevertheless, the text says what it says. He's without a father and a mother or a genealogy. He's neither beginning of a day's nor the end of his life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Verse four. And you should think about this during Lent. Contemplate what a great man he is. Abraham, the patriarch, gave him a tithe of the spoils. You only do that to somebody better than you, right? And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers. Though these are descendants from Abraham, I know that's so complicated. But basically a priest was meant to take tithes. But this man who has not their genealogy received tithe from Abraham. So wait a second now. In the Old Testament I mean, you learn this in Confirmation if you're a good Lutheran. Prophets, priests, and kings, right? And they're separate, prophet, priests, and kings. And when they try to overlap, things normally go badly, right? Prophets, priests, and kings. And then you learn Jesus is prophet, priest, and king with a big p- p- prophet and a big p- priest and a big king. Now suddenly, you got this guy and nobody knows where he comes from. He just shows up and he says, I'll bless you, by the way. I'll have 10% of that, please. And Abraham, like, says, well, that's the most natural thing in the world to me. How does this work? But this man who has not their genealogy received ties from Abraham and blessed them. I thought God made kings. I thought God made orders. I thought God made priests. Who is this guy? It is beyond dispute, there you go, that the inferior is blessed by the superior. So it is beyond dispute that Abram is inferior to Melchizedek. Now, there's very few people you could think of who are going to be bigger and better than Abram, right? This moon worshiper from Earth to whom God appears and says, I got a great idea. Grab your stuff and let's move west about 600 miles or 700 miles. Leave everything behind. You leave your people, you leave your family, you leave your friends, you leave your genealogy, you leave your country. Let's move and you're going to be, you know, as many as the sands of the seashore. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Here, tithes are received by mortal men. There, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. I, you can already make sense of this. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives the tithes, paid tithes to Abraham. Oh, now i just. Do you get this? Um, paid tithes through Abraham. This is because, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So, just to kind of figure this out, it's not only that Abraham, the patriarch, is giving a tithe to this guy, Aaron and Levi, the Levites, the priests, the priests are paying a tithe to this guy too. So, here's the thing, Abram is saying to this guy, since you're the king, I'll give you a 10%. And then Levi and all the priests are saying, through Abraham, hey, since you're the priest, I'll give you 10%. What? You, just cannot, you can hardly make sense of this and time's up and so we have to go. So, um, you know, here's the thing. Here's what I want you to do. Just take, home the, just take this home and just think about it. But here's the broad scope. This, there is this shadowy guy named Melchizedek who everybody loves, so you should love him too. And this shadowy guy named Melchizedek, uh, Jesus becomes a priest like him and a king like him. And what are you going to do with that? And then the next thing you have to ask yourself is, uh, read further into the chapter, it's a little hard, but he says this very difficult thing where he says the law was too weak to save you, so God's changing it up. God's going to have a new order and he's going to have a new law and he's going to have a new priest and he's going to have a new king because this didn't work out which is you know, not the way you, you know, you're good Lutherans. You come and you think it's all just going to work out. Well, I mean, he, the writer of the Hebrews, chapter 7, says, you know what, this didn't work out. So God is slamming on the brakes, and we're going to get some new folks around here. All right, so just read chapter 7. We'll, so next week, we'll come back. We'll do this, and we'll do what I gave you last week that we didn't do, and then <laughs> we'll be all caught up, and then I'll give you something else that we won't do. All right, so let's pray. <laughs> All right, see you Wednesday. Don't forget Ash Wednesday. Come, even if you can just come in the morning for a little bit. See you then.